In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Let me just uh, talk a little bit about this gathering, this class, that has the name of liturgical studies. Um, this is not going to be um, something like uh, contemplation or uh, more spiritual. This is more educational, that we need to go and, uh, and read more and get to know more about uh, uh, our liturgical uh, uh, and, uh, services in the church. So eventually, get on a few minutes or so, maybe towards the end of our uh, uh, class today, we're going to get your comments, whether written or maybe uh, verbal. You can tell us how often you want this meeting to be uh, and the structure of this meeting, how you want it to be also. Um, the idea started, uh, Michael uh, Georgi called the other day. I just want to tell you how it started. He says, Abuna, we have so many hymns that are so beautiful. And, but unfortunately, I know most of us, we don't know the spirituality of the, uh, uh, every rite, every hymn, everything we do. So why don't we have a meeting or a class just to go in depth of the things that we practice in our worship? And we do it uh, routinely without understanding why don't we have something like that. This is what Michael says, but also I had the same uh, uh, desire to have something from before. So when I heard it from Michael, I said, I think God is telling us, let's start. So, because yes, we want to have a, an educational sessions every now and then. First, we said this could be good for just deacons. We said, why only deacons? Because this is not, has nothing, nothing to do with, uh, we're not teaching hymns here. We have hymns classes. And it's not uh, just to assign deacons to pray here or there. So we're not taking that aspect of, uh, of just uh, making sure every liturgy is covered and who's praying where and what hymns to be sung and all of that. No, so this is a more educational uh, class. Uh, so if, if we want to have it on a monthly basis, we can. Bi-weekly basis, we can. All depends. Um, we're going to have it uh, also recorded, so we can refer to it. Uh, in the near future, if we're going to come, uh, whether bi-weekly or monthly, we're going to have speakers that give us something that we want to talk about, something um, more academic. When we talk, it's going to be more academic, not um, uh, uh, anything else. So we said, okay, let's have this first talk. Um, we're going to divide it into uh, two sessions. Probably there's no break because we already wasted 30 minutes. Uh, I have Michael uh, Georgie also prepared 30 minutes. You can stop me at 12 o'clock. Right now, 11.30. I'm going to start just an intro to the uh, uh, rites of the church and why the church uses uh, rites uh, and traditions um, in, in the way we worship. Why is it? Why can't we just uh, get together, uh, open the Bible, 
somebody read a passage, we talk about it, we sing a song, and go home. Is this the early church? Is this the, the, the church that was founded by our Lord Jesus and, 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 and passed down through his apostles and disciples? Is this the way they used to worship? Or uh, we need to go back to the roots and the first church and how they worship together in a, a unified, a systematic, in a system, uh, in, in order as, as rights. And what I'm going to talk quickly about the rights and the importance of the rights in the church. Uh, the word rights is, is in Coptic, it's called taxis, tux. That's why we say tux, rights or taxis. This is uh, the word, and it means the, the organization of the service uh, uh, amongst the congregation. Um, also, it contains, you, you have rights of um, the utensils, the things we use, it has rights. Uh, the icons and everything else. Also, prayers, we're going to talk, and also the prayers has everything we do uh, it has a rights to it. Uh, consecration of churches has the right to consecrate. Um, uh, blessing of homes, blessings of uh, places, it has rights written and passed down to us. Um, uh, funerals, it has rights. Um, uh, the the, the f uh, f fasts of the church, they have rights. Uh, hymns, and, 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 and the tune of the hymns, every season has different way to sing it. These are the rites of the church. Also, the praises and all the hymns that involves, um, involved in uh, praises. Uh, also, the annual readings of the church. Uh, we have uh, the books of the church, the, the, the annual, and we have the seasonal, and you know, we call it katamaris. Uh, and that's what everybody we use whatever months and you know the months of the, the, the Coptic uh, year or the calendar and, and we have annual and we have seasonal we have fasts and we have joyous and we have uh, uh, during the uh, uh, holy week sad in tunes and all of that so this also kept in uh, taqs or um, uh, the rites of the church. Also the, the, the Sundays and the feasts has its own uh, taqs. Quickly I'm gonna talk about the source, how we have uh, taqs or rites, how. First of all, the, the, the source is the Bible. Uh, the Coptic Church didn't get a come up one day and says, let's have uh, something called rights. It's good to do something, invent something amongst us. This is from day one, and the source and the origin of it started and taken from the Bible. Also from the teaching of the apostles uh, and the discolia, and that's the way we call the discolia. And also uh, the, the, uh, all the... Uh, uh, councils of the church that we accept, uh, things passed down, written, one, two, three, that's what needs to be done. So this is early centuries. We're not talking about what we have, what we have today is being kept and passed down to us from our fathers, forefathers, uh, since our early centuries, from our Lord Jesus Christ himself. 
So the Bible says in Proverbs 22, 28, says, Do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. So the landmark is the rights of the church. Keep it. Don't move it. Nowadays, we see people like to change or uh, upgrade or uh, um, change things. It's, it's not the spirit of the church. The church, it, 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 the talks or the rights kept our dogma and our belief is kept through the, the rights. If we don't have rights, your, your beliefs is, is, we basically express what we believe in in the rights. And as I tell you, the first right, the first right was invented, started in very early centuries is the sign of the cross. Making the sign of the cross using hand motion, that's a right. Talks. When we say in the name of the Father and we put your hand or fingers on, on, on your forehead and down, and the Son and the Holy Spirit, why, why would we do this? Why can't we do it like this? Why can't we do it like that? It has meaning. So the rights, when we have it as simple as making the sign of the cross, basically we believe God the Father sent His only begotten Son to earth, and He moved us from the left to the right. And we say, through the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. So even your hand motions, when we do it, refers to something deeper. So the tux or the rites has deeper meaning when you uh, do it. We don't do it just keda uh, khalas. I remember uh, one of uh, uh, soccer players in Egypt. He was not Christians, but he saw the most famous uh, soccer players do this when they uh, score. So he did it. And people, people told him, what are you doing? What, what, why are you doing this sign? He said, I saw whoever that player is doing it. He said, but this, <laughs> this is a sign of the cross. What are you doing? You don't understand. So yes, so basically when we do the sign, we know what it means and what power it has. And that's our belief made through that hand motion that we do. God created everything in order. Rights to everything. Sunrise, sunset, seasons, uh, everything. Order. Order means tux, means rights. That's the order. There's no haphazards in, in, in the creation and in, in, in the motion of everything around us. God created that in order. And it's, it says here in, in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, For God is not the uh, author of confusion, but of peace. He's the author, not the author of confusion, but the order of peace. Everything in order. Uh, let's go quickly to um, how the rites started in the Old Testament. This is not from the, the apostles. What we have from the apostles, the apostles also have kept things from the Old Testament and passed down to us. I'm not going into details, but eventually maybe we can take a, a, a class about maybe the, the Agbeya and how the Agbeya started in the, in the Coptic church and the use of the Agbeya in our worship. So basically in the Old Testament, when God told Moses how to offer a sacrifice, how to do things, he told him specifics, exact details, do this, don't do that. 
even even when uh, when um, the ark of the covenant the tux how has been carried and not touched by laymen and if anybody touch it will die and this happened this is the importance do you think god god cares about uh, a, a piece of wood if we look at it as a ark of the, the ark of the covenant it just wood inlaid with gold and uh, but that's the presence of god himself you respect that you respect god himself so don't be little the things the precious things the holy things and if anybody breaks that rule will be punished so since adam since the creation god told adam how to offer a sacrifice and use the the skin of uh, uh, the sacrifice use it as uh, to to cover himself but we see when cain um, just ignored the way and the order of offering sacrifice god refused his sacrifice his offering was denied was rejected because he did it not according to god's way of accepting that's cain so so many examples i just saw uh, nadab and abihu uh, sons of aaron also they offered uh, 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 fire in, in a different fire not accepted before God and God actually punished them so many examples of that let's go quickly also to the order of talks and the rites in the New Testament in the New Testament uh, our Lord Jesus Christ told them even even feeding the multitude for example what did he say as a, as a right as a tux he said, make them sit down in groups of 50, right? And he blessed, he broke, he gave to his disciples and the disciples gave to the people. After that, he asked them to collect all the fragments. These are rites, that's tucks. How about 5,000 people just Okay, uh, let's let's give them give them something to eat. Uh, start giving out chaos. So our God likes everything is done with order. Saint Paul says in First Corinthians fourteen forty, it says, "Let all things be done decently and in order." Decently and in order. Also. He mentioned in 1 Corinthians 11.34, he said, And the rest I will set in order when I come. I will tell you. So that means the Bible also in the New Testament didn't only discuss spiritual matters and issues, but also everything when they gathered to pray and worship, everything has order, system, rights to it. On top of that, he says in, in 2 Thessalonians uh, three six he says that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us you withdraw from any brother that walks disorderly anyone that comes and say hey let's forget about uh, liturgy style that you guys do let's pray and it's good to pray we're not saying not to pray 
But a congregational prayer it has to be done in order. As a, as a priest, as a deacon, as, as, as congregants attending, everyone has his part. Everyone. Because God loves the way we, we worship. We worship in, in a system, in order that's organized, not chaotic. He also says in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, St. Paul says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Warn those who are unruly. Every right we have, this is what we see. But what we don't see is the dogma behind it, is the faith behind it. So, when we do something that you see it, maybe you don't understand what we do. But whatever we do, whether a priest or a deacon or us as congregants when we come, it has a deeper meaning, it has a deeper dogma, a belief that's being expressed by something we see. One of the fathers says, I think uh, uh, St. John Chrysostom, it says if, if we're only spiritual beings, God would have uh, dealt with us just based on the needs of the spirit. But since we are still in the body, we need to have the body involved in the way we worship. And that's what we, we do the Matanyas. The body is taking part of your worship, closing the eyes, lifting up our hands. All these body motions basically involve your body in worshiping with the Spirit. There are two together. So there's something apparent, something seen, touched, and something unseen that is dogmatic, something deeper, something more spiritual in everything we do. Look at the verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 15, 16. He says what? The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ, look, he tied, underlined the word cup. Isn't it what? The blood, the cup and the blood. What do we see here in the chalice? We see a cup, wine. Isn't it the communion of blood, the blood of Christ? So, is it, is it, what is it? What we see is wine, a cup. Isn't it the blood? That's unseen. That's our dogma. That's our belief. This is the blood of Christ. The bread, and underlying the word bread, the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? So what we see is bread. Isn't this the body of Christ? So something seen, bread, but that's not the bread. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, this is the body of Christ. So this is basic understanding of when we do something that is seen versus what you do it is based on something unseen that's more holy uh, and dogmatic. Let me go quickly about... Um, we have 15 minutes, I'm going fast, which is good, and I have Michael ready to give the other 30 minutes. Um, when we come and uh, attend liturgies, 
for one main thing, to all to take communion, right? And that's uh, the, the right is to attend liturgies and do all the motions that we do. But what we believe is uh, he who eats my body and drinks my blood shall abide in me and I in him. How about the baptism? We just, why we baptize? Why water? What's the belief? What's behind baptism with water? What is the belief? What is the dogma? This is this, what? The second birth from water and spirit, right? This is it. Water and spirit. Also, uh, look at... Um, uh, when we have basically icons in a church, the rites we have, the, the, we have decorated with why? Why we have icons? Other churches don't believe in, in saints or icons. Why? Because our belief that they, we ought to imitate them. That's our belief. We need to imitate the saints. Also, you notice Habuna uh, when he chooses the, uh, the lamb of, of the Urbanas to become the lamb of God. He does his, he crosses his hand like a cross, right? And why we, Abuna does that when he chooses the lamb, the first two? Remember Joseph blessing his two sons? He crossed his hands. Manasseh and who? Ephraim? Yeah, Ephraim and Manasseh. So he crossed his hands and he blessed the younger son. Uh, so we do crossing the hands. So it has meaning. We, we, we just don't do it like, uh, okay, it like, looks good or uh, it has meaning. Also, when Abuna um, takes the first, the Urbana, and after that, he blesses the, the, the wine also, and he anoints that with the wine before it becomes the blood. Uh, with the Urbana, he, he blesses it, makes the sign of the cross. Uh, like every offering is being mingled with the blood and the, uh, the, the flesh of the sacrifice. And then Abuna, you see him going inside with, um, and the deacon give, gives him uh, water to wash the Urbana. Why? Why we wash the Urbana? What is the meaning of it? Hmm? This is uh, uh, a symbol of the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then uh, Abuna puts the Urbana in, uh, in a pattern, and then he, uh, he covers it with the prosperine, the whole thing, the big thing that the deacons passes to Abuna, covers the whole thing. So the Urbana is being laid in the pattern, and the pattern has another lifafa under it. Uh, I mean, on top, before he puts the Urbana, it's, it's like the manger of our Lord Jesus Christ. Has meaning. Uh, and then the covering of the prosperine is like Jesus being where? In a tomb. And then Abuna takes one of the lifafa, makes it like looks like a triangle. And he puts it on top of the tomb. What is that sign of? Symbol of? The stamp on the tomb of our Lord Jesus Christ. They stamped it. So I just want to talk quickly about one thing. In, in, in uh, 10 minutes that I have. The rights makes us unified. Agree? The rights of the church makes us unified, worshiping one heart. Can you imagine coming to our church 
and everybody praying his own, with his own words. You know, the church prohibits, uh, prohibits anyone adds or deletes or omits or uh, uh, change any words of the liturgy. If they want to make a slightest change in the words of the liturgy, you have to, they have to have a al-Magma al-Muqaddas, the Holy Synod, to agree about one word of worship to be changed or omitted. You see how the rites, because it's unifying us, it doesn't matter whether you know how to pray or you don't. You are in a group. You are in the body of Christ as a whole, as a church. We are in the body of Christ. Basically, there's no one that knows versus no one that doesn't. We all, as a body of Christ, somebody's praying for you if you don't know. And eventually you will pray for somebody else when you know. We're all praying one language, with one accord, with one heart, with one liturgical service. We're all praying. When you attend liturgies, it's nothing, oh, they know more or they don't know. We're all together. And the beauty of this too, you're not only unified in one church under one roof, we are unified in the body of Christ worldwide. Not only worldwide, from generation to generation. Our forefathers were praying with this, and ages to come, people after us, this will be passed down to them. So we are one since our Lord Jesus Christ passed, passed it down to his disciples. Until he comes again, he finds us with one heart, one church unified. The beauty when you go to any church, any church when you go to Egypt, uh, 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 any part of the world, you don't feel a stranger, do you? No. You feel like you fit in, right in. Because you come, we know what we're reading. You know what gospel are going to be read, what hymns going to be sung. You know. That's the beauty of our church. And the rites kept that unified. I'm not going to touch into the language of what keeps it. Because yes, you can be in France, you can be in Germany, you can be in Egypt, you can be in America, you can be anywhere, any language. We need to make sure that we have a common language. But the, the tradition and the rites is keeping, is making that available to us when we worship. Feel uh, the oneness and the unif uh, unity between uh, us being um, uh, different members of the same body. Um, also, the hymns of the church is keeping the rites, whether it's joyous, you feel jo joyful, right? When we, uh, can you imagine we sing a poro, and you know a poro has that joyous tune to it, and and that's what we use it for weddings and everything. Once we start singing a poro, people start zagrating, right? It's so joyous. But when we start singing something in a sad tune, what happens? Calmness. Get a, you feel like uh, sadness. Holy ones, saddened. Um, you feel it, so that the hymns of the church affects us. The, the Holy Week is not like the Holy 50 Days. Hymns here are different than the hymns there. The annual is different. 
the feast versus the fast, fasting days. Why? That rites that is kept through the hymns. The hymns is, has a great effect on every one of us. Look at the tazbiha, for example. Look at transitions of the tazbiha, Abu Ghlamsis, collapses. When we sing and transition from sad into joyous, you feel it. So all this richness, and, 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 and uh, you feel part of this, even if you don't understand, even if you don't know the hymns, but you feel it. And I tell you something uh, funny. One time, years ago, I was praying in Coptic. Like maybe 50 or 60% of the liturgy, I was praying Coptic. So someone stopped me. At the end, he said, Abuna, I want to tell you something. I didn't understand the thing of what you were saying. But I want to tell you, I felt like I was, I was in heaven. I said, that's true. Sometimes the words, intellectual understanding of the meaning of the words, it doesn't take you to heaven. But the hymns is enough to take you up there. If it's sunk with a spirit that understands, you will feel like you're in heaven. He said, I, I didn't understand, but I felt I'm in heaven. See the hymns, the effect of it? Stories about hymns and uh, someone who was unbel uh, unbeliever walked in a church intending to cause harm. He heard a priest, I think, reading the gospel, the word of God, in a voice, the word of God, in a voice that affected his heart. And he, became, he came to the priest at the end. He said, Abuna, I came to cause harm, to inflict harm in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in this community, in this church. But the words were, the, 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 the way you read it, pierced my heart. I don't want to become a believer. Help me. You see the effect of the hymns? When it's sung with a holy, not a showy voice, it can attract people. So the rites of the church keeps for us the worship and faith as we practice in a, in a spiritual way. Um, the rites of the church gives us all being to become unified in worshiping and take, uh, be, be, feel like we are unified uh, in one body uh, that is our Lord, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. The rites is simplifying our faith in a, in a practical way. Faith is being practiced through the rites. That's what we do from generation to generation. Um, the rites help, help everyone that when we worship, we worship intellectually, we worship spiritually. Through the words of God that's been read to us, through hymns that we sing together as one, through the metanias, the prostration that we do, through fasting. So it's basically there's a body, 
worship and a spiritual worship. Body and spirit. When you fast, the spirit is not fasting. Well, who's fasting? Who's fasting? It's bodily fasting, but helps the spirit. But you do it physically. You do it bodily. So my whole... I, I'm, as a whole, I'm worshiping and uh, body and spirit. Uh, the rites is basically making the, 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 the word of God being felt. It's like re, uh, reincarnate or incarnating the word of God being seen. We, when we do things, motions or prostration, we, we, we know that. Um, I'm not going to talk about the urbana and, and, and what it means. We, we talked a little bit about it. But adding water, for example, to the blood and all of that, uh, that's basically um, uh, because our Lord Jesus Christ, when he was pierced, um, uh, blood and water flow, uh, flew from his side. So it has meaning to it. Um, I have two minutes quickly. Um, reading from this book is called The Awe-Inspiring Rites of Initiation. After, um, this is, has to do with baptism, but also it has more things about uh, what we do during the liturgy. I'm going to read a part for you. It says, You saw the deacon offering water for washing to the, priests, to the priest and to the presbyters encircling God's altar. Of course, he did not do this because their bodies were dirty. Not at all. We did not enter the church with germy bodies in the first place. No, the washing is a symbol of the need to, for you to be clean of all sins and transgressions. Since our hands symbolize action, by washing them, we are clearly de de denoting the purity and blamelessness of our, of our deeds. You have surely heard the blessed David interpreting this mystery when he says, I will wash my hands amongst the innocent and go about thy altar, O Lord. So there is no doubt that the washing of the hands represents symbolically freedom from sins. I read this part. You say, why Abuna picked this part, for example? You see, Abuna, before we all... Uh, uh, recite the, the creed. See, a deacon brings water to Abuna and Abuna washes his hands. And sometimes you see Abuna showing your hands being clean. The misunderstanding, misunderstanding, Abuna is not washing his hands like Pilate when he washed his hand that he's innocent. Uh, he's uh, like, uh, uh, when he says, I'm innocent from the blood of this uh, innocent person. So Abuna, when he washes his hand, is not a sign of washing his responsibility or washing, I don't care, uh, let it be on their, their blood on their own. Yani, I'm innocent of that. Doesn't mean that. And also doesn't mean that Abuna's hands were dirty and needs to be cleaned. Basically, as I just read, why we do it? The hand symbolizes the deeds and I was just, as, as we, when we recite this part, 
wash me thoroughly from my sins and cleanse me from my, uh, from my, from my iniquities. Uh, so it's a sign of washing, purifying myself before the people that I live holy. Uh, and uh, so this is just a small symbol. Also, another one is the kiss of peace. This is um, next the deacons. The deacon says in a loud voice, receive one another and let us kiss one another. Do not assume that this is the customary kiss exchanged by friends in public. No, this kiss joins souls together in search of complete forgiveness from one another. So the kiss is a mark of fusion of souls. The kiss is a mark of fusion of souls and of the expulsion of all resentment for wrongs. It is for, the reason, for this reason that Christ said, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that you, your brother has something against you, leave there your offering on the altar, and go first and be reconciled with your brother, and then come near and offer your gift. So the kiss is a reconciliation, and therefore holy. This is what I think St. Paul meant when he said, greet one another with a holy kiss. And St. Peter, when he says, greet one another with the kiss of love. I liked when he says, it's a mark of fusion of souls. Reconciliation. Make sure we can't worship and we have something against someone in the church. You can't. You can't. This is the sacrifice of love and we have to be reconciled with everyone. What time is it? Is it 12? Okay. I will, I will, we will end here. Mark, uh, Michael has 30 minutes. And then maybe if you want to uh, have questions at the end, or if you have any comments for next time, what you want to do and when you want to gather, uh, we have Michael today to give uh, 30 minutes. And um, next time, also, we're going to have more speakers, different speakers, different topic, and so on. Okay? And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Come here, Michael. No break for you today because you guys came late. Normally we break like for five minutes and then we reconvene, but since we started late, <laughs> so we'll go right away. Come here, Michael, sit here. No, sit here. Sit here. I'm going to sit next to you. I want to sit next to you. Give me, give me a chair. Come sit here. I want you here. <laughs> I'm going to sit next to you. Don't work up. Yes, Habibi. I can talk to them. You, you want to go in the front? Okay, you work. Okay, just for one minute, we have, uh, if you want to ask any questions until we start again. Yes, Krollos. That the symbolism behind Joseph crossing the hands, that yeah. should it be only the priest crossing the hands and that the deacons should not cross their hands as well when they hold the water. Well, I see the deacons, but I, I, I've seen like other bishops not to uh, have the deacons cross them. I've seen deacons crossing their hands and bishops telling them, why are you crossing your hands? It's not for you to cross your hands. You're not blessing or giving the, the blessing to this. So we ask the deacons just to hold the, the water and the candle. Uh, uh, just without crossing their hands. 
<laughs> Sometimes I see the deacons walking inside to go, um, holding the water, and I want to get some water from them. And they're still crossing their hands and trying to, you know. Yeah, I thought, why? <laughs> you don't have to. Just uh, free your hands and give me some water. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 yeah. And we should not have uh, uh, deacons uh, to cross their hands. Mark. I noticed, um, like, some of, when you visit, for example, some of our sister churches, or when you look at some of, like, the Eastern Orthodox, or even the Catholic Church, like, some rites even are common to all these apostolic churches, and some rites, even with our sister churches that we're in communion of, like, are, are different. So, like, do certain rites, like, change over time? Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, are some rites, like, not, not common to all of us? This is, if you want to uh, go into um, uh, depth in, 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 in getting the, uh, the changes and the historical changes in litur liturgical services between churches, this is something big we can discuss. But uh, every church kept the rites, uh, they were unified pre the councils, certain councils, uh, unified in all churches, main churches of the whole world. But changes does not make, uh, make us uh, like wrong. Like I tell you, one of the uh, professors were giving us something uh, about the liturgy. Uh, his name is uh, Fendikian of the Armenian. He was saying... You, for example, there, uh, the body, we make it with uh, flour, water, and yeast, no salt. And we have reasons. There, the, the Urbanas, it has flour, water, salt, no yeast. We say yeast is a symbol of sin. He says, yeah, that's right. They say... He is without sin, so we should not put yeast in him. He said, but he carried our sins, so we put yeast in it. And we don't put salt, because salt preserves, and he does not need to preserve. He said, no, but he's the, he gives taste to everyone. So, so whether you have yeast or you don't have yeast, and as long as you have the meaning behind it, they are right, and we are right. We can't say he's wrong, we're right, and so on. Okay? So this is something small that's uh, being practiced in different churches, but it's totally right. We'll continue after. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Are you using the computer? Yes. The okay, they see it? Okay. You don't have a screen for you to see what's behind? It's okay, I can look. Okay. Um, so basically this is going to be part two of Abuna's talk, so it's going to kind of be like an extension. So there's some similar things that Abuna mentioned. Um, and if you noticed that when this talk began, I didn't sign the cross, like I didn't say in the name of the Father. So one of the rights of the church actually is that the highest ranking um, person or clergy, they're the one who blesses. So Abuna's the one who blesses and then I speak. And if there's a bishop and a pope, so on and so forth to the point that we see in the liturgy, after we believe that the, the bread and wine have changed, Abuna, when he says, he doesn't then turn around and bless the congregation. He kind of bows and he lets the highest ranking person, which in this case is our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ himself, give that blessing. So the same thing kind of trickles down to this point. Um, so, like Abuna mentioned, 
the concept of rights goes all the way back to the Old Testament. So I'm going to kind of touch on something Abuna said. So if we can open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 4, we're going to get into kind of what Abuna mentioned about Cain and Abel. So if we can have a volunteer, we're only going to read four verses from verses... You have to have that microphone if you want to read. Yes, we have Brian. Uh, we're going to read from verses three to seven, please. So who can volunteer? And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Okay, so I'm going to stop right there. So as Abuna mentioned, the first ever time that a worship or a rite is mentioned is in this story, in the story of Cain and Abel. So there's, there's clearly the same thing happening with both Cain and Abel. They're both offering something to God. So it's the same act, the same concept. But there is a difference, there's a huge difference in the sense that one was accepted, it says that God accepted Abel and did not accept Cain. So they did the same thing, but there was a difference in how they did it and in what they did. So it's the same act, but the difference is in how and what, which caused God to accept one and reject the other. So we're going to get into that after. So go ahead, Yusuf. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Okay. Thank you. So we have here, like I mentioned, the same act, but done differently. And St. Paul says in his chapter on faith, which is Hebrews 11, he says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. So basically, we believe this by faith, <clears throat> this by faith, this bolded part, is tradition, is something that's passed down from God to Adam, and then Adam passed it down to his sons, Cain and Abel. However, what Adam passed down to his sons, Cain did not do, because he passed or he offered, you know, his first fruits. But Abel did, because he offered, you know, one of his first lambs or rams or something of the field. Sorry, something like a livestock. So the, the worship was the same, but how it was executed, the right, the way it was executed, was different. And it wasn't followed according to how God passed it down, which caused God to either accept or reject. And this shows us the concept that God wants us to offer in a certain way. God wants us to be organized. God wants us to have a certain structure and order based on what the Father's passed down, based on the Holy Spirit's guidance in the church, in order for our offering to be acceptable. So what does St. John Chrysostom say? He explains this verse. He says the difference in attitude, so that's the first difference, that emerged in the mediocrity of the choice. So this mediocrity of the choice, how or what they worshipped, this right, how they performed it, is what caused God to reject Cain. Caused one man's offering to be acceptable and the others to be spurned. God took notice of him from the fact of their being the firstborn and the fact of specially selected from them. So here he's expanding on why God accepted Abel and rejected Cain. So from the beginning, we see here that God wants rights, and rights is something that's important to him. Because I think a problem that we have, 
And I'm glad that Abuna kind of chose this topic to start our liturgical studies meeting with, is that there's, there's two camps of people when they talk about rights. There's people who are super serious about rights and kind of take it as if like the end all be all. And if you break a right, it's like you broke a divine commandment and there's going to be arguments between deacons and I followed this book and I followed this book and this is wrong or why are we doing this or our church is a mess if we're not following this right. Like people take it to a very crazy extent. And then there's the other camp who say, God just looks at the heart and we have no care what we do. It doesn't matter as long as we come and we're holy. Like these rights are man-made and it's pointless. So those are two extremes that the church takes neither, neither side. So in the Old Testament, God changed the rights from the essence they were in the Old Testament to how they are in the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, these rights, these laws, these commandments, were to kind of keep the nation of Israel in check, to kind of keep them and strengthen the relationship with God because they were counted as children and God was raising them. And it was their only way to have a relationship with God, even though it failed. Like, if, if they sinned, they had to offer a sacrifice. That sacrifice didn't forgive their sins. It did nothing for them. But it was a symbol, it was an attempt to keep them with God. So if they didn't do this, there was penalties, there was punishments. So Abuna mentioned a right. For example, if Abuna, when he chooses the lamb, he crosses his hands. If Abuna doesn't do that, there's no punishment or penalty. There's no death. But in the Old Testament, if a person didn't execute a right, there's numerous stories. Like Uzziah, when he touched the Ark of the Covenant, when it was about to fall, died on the spot. The, the priests in number 16, who tried to become priests, Korah and Abiram in Dathen, they died on the spot. These are things that they violated divine commandments. So in Exodus 31, it says, There shall be a Sabbath, or you shall keep the Sabbath. Therefore it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. So there was punishments for not following rites in the Old Testament. That changed in the New Testament. God changed this essence of rites. Because he says here, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So he changed the concept that this is, instead of a divine obligation to you, it is now something for your benefit. Abuna mentioned that every rite we have has a spiritual or doctrinal meaning behind it. Meaning anything we do in the church, anything we do in the church, even the color of the carpet, the architecture, anything we do is a meaning for us, for our benefit. So in the Old Testament, it tried to keep the rites, tried to keep us connected to God. In the New Testament, it, brings, it does the opposite. It brings God to us. What does that mean? After Abuna prays the liturgy, after there are certain readings, certain prayers, certain rites, who comes on the altar? Jesus Christ himself. Through this canonical priest, through the rites of the, of the liturgy, God himself descends and now is with us. That's why we say in the fraction, Behold Emmanuel our God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, is with us today on this table. So the rites of the church actually bring God to us. They actually bring God on the table to us. And everything that we do, or everything that the church has put for us, is for our benefit. That's how incredibly important the rites are. So we saw from the story of Cain and Abel that God wants and respects rites. And we see here a change from the Old Testament to the New Testament that God, or that the church, gives us these rites for our benefit. Everything that we have in the church is for our benefit. So it's not an obligation on us, like a divine commandment, and if you mess up, there should be an argument, but it's actually just for our benefit. It's for our benefit, and we should do our best to understand it so we can grow, so we can enhance. So we are going to read um, 
a story that comes from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8. And this is going to show us how the rites of our church bring the Bible to life. So we're going to read Nehemiah verses, chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. If we can have a volunteer, please. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men and women. And all who, who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month, then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate, from morning until midday. Before the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of law. Okay, so I'm going to stop you here. So what is going on now that reminds you of something that we do similarly in the church? And what's happening in this story that we also do in the church? David. Perfect. This is the readings of the church. So we have here a reader. We have Ezra, the priest who has now brought the book, which is the Katamaros that Abuna was mentioned before, and now he's reading to all the men and women, all the men, all the women. So exactly this open square that's happening in Nehemiah chapter, <coughs> chapter 8, this is what's happening, what we do every single liturgy. Go ahead, Luigi. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him at his right hand stood Methathiah, Shema, Aniah, Urijah, Helkiah, and Ma. Messiah, 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 and at his left hand, Padiah, Mishael, Malkaja, Hashum, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Okay, what is happening here that we do every day in our liturgy? Two things. Every liturgy we do this. Two things. Yes, liturgy. Perfect. The platform is the Mengaleya. That's number one. What's number two? This is a bit harder. The, the yes, Veronica? Perfect. There is a group of people standing on his right and a group of people standing on his left. This happens when we read the gospel every single time. One deacon on, on Abuna's right or whoever is reading on their right and one deacon on their left. So we see here, this person is reading. He's reading to the open congregation, to the men and the women. He's reading on a platform one person standing on his right. In this situation, there's more people, but we have one person on his right and one person on his left. So we're getting piece by piece more and more how this biblical story is brought through, to life through the rites of our church. Go ahead. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. What's happening here? Easy. The gospel. So what happens? So he's reading the gospel. Everyone stands up. Everyone stands up. What's the second thing? He's above everyone. The same way the Mengaleya is above everyone. So that means two things. Does anyone know what the word Mengaleya means? It's a Coptic word. Uh, above? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's broken up into two things. Ma and Engaleya. So we all know what Engaleya means, right? 
The gospel. Angelic? Yes, gospel. the gospel, gospel. right? <laughs> and, ma, and ma means the place of. So Mengeleya means the place of the gospel, the place where the gospel is read. So him being standing above the people, exactly how the Mengeleya is above the congregation, shows, in the same way Abuna, when he says, um, before the gospel is read, he takes the gospel holder and he puts it above his head, and if there's a pope or a bishop, he takes off his crown. All these rites show that this gospel, this word, is above us, has authority over us. So no matter if you're the pope, he takes off his crown because this gospel has authority over you. And last week, we, had, we celebrated the Feast of St. Anthony. What changed St. Anthony's life? He went in the church, the gospel was read, he took this gospel, created a whole form of monasticism that changed the entire Christian world from the gospel. So the rites of the church deliver a spiritual meaning that the church or the Bible is above us. It's something that we listen to and we obey. That's why the church has a right for us to stand because standing symbolizes action, ready to do something. So when the gospel is read, we're ready to follow and listen. Go ahead. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen. What happens here? What does the deacon say before he's reading? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's exactly biblical. Ezra blessed the Lord. And then what does the deacon respond? Say it again, Yusuf. Yes. So, and what do we do in our church? Forever, Amen. So that same concept of how the deacon responds, amen, after um, the deacon reads, blessed, is the same thing that's happening in this story. Go ahead. While lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And what happens when the deacon says, blessed, is he who comes in the name of the Lord? Biblical. So it's not just random, not just something spiritual or cultural, literally biblical. The deacon says, blessed, is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The entire congregation bows their head and signs of the cross. This is from Nehemiah chapter 8. Biblical. So the rites of the church bring the Bible into life, into something you may not even know is in the Bible, but it has transported it to you to live biblically without you even knowing. Go ahead. Also Joshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabithai, Hodijah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabed, Hanan, Beliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read distinct, distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the, the sense and helped them to understand the reading. Thank you, Lucy. So what rank of deacon is this? Who helps the people understand the reading? This diagnosis, the reader. That's why actually in the reader ordination, we say, who chose Ezra your servant, who gave him wisdom, that he might read your law to your people. So the reader ordination, when someone's ordained diagnosis, we take this story, we take Ezra's example, and place it into the prayers of the church. So if you ever want to understand what is happening to a person when he's ordained, whether it's Apseltos all the way up to the Pope, all you have to do is read the prayers of the church. Because the prayers of the church explain to you what grace is being gifted from God and what the responsibility is of this person. So the litany of the, of the ordination of the reader is taken from this story. So we're going to quickly explain what time am I supposed to finish with? Go ahead. Take your time. You guys want to leave at uh, 12.30 exactly, or you want, you want to stay 10 more minutes or so? Stay? Okay. Okay. So, okay. I'm just going to quickly explain basically the four or five. We'll end with a Bible reading, but I'm going to quickly explain the four or five purposes of why rights are important, besides what we mentioned before. So we discussed the story of Cain and Abel showing that God respects and wants rights. 
And we saw that the right is now in the Old Testament, or sorry, in the New Testament, for our benefit. The rights are for our benefit and blessing and growth. And we saw that the right in the story of Nehemiah brings the Bible to life. Everything we do is biblical. Everything we do is biblical. And it brings the rights, bring the Bible to life. So, Abuna mentioned organization. The first reason why rights are important is because they unify. Abuna mentioned the definition of right comes from the Greek word taxis. Translated into Arabic, tux. Taxis in Greek means system or an order. So simply speaking, the rights keep us in check. They keep us in order. So we know exactly what we're doing when it comes for Vespers. We know exactly what we're doing when we come to La'en, or Mans, or Liturgy. We always know exactly what we're doing based on the organization of the church. And St. John Chrysostom says, nothing builds up as much as good order, peace, and love, just as nothing is more destructive than their opposites. So we all don't like, and sometimes the Egyptian culture kind of thrives on disorganization. So the rights of the church try to organize and to kind of give us exactly what we're supposed to do in every service. That's one of the main reasons, number one. Number two, the rights carry our theology. And there's a branch of theology called ritual theology. So the word theology, obviously, as you guys know, means study of God. Ritual means the rights of the church or the order of the church, like we just said. So ritual theology means how we study God through the order and way we worship. So ritual theology means how we study God through the way in which we worship. So based on our rights, God is revealed to us. So we know God's word is ineffable and divine and inspired. So based on our rights of the Mengele being above, that kind of reveals it to us, explains things. So we'll go through a few, a few examples. And if anyone has an example they want to share, please share it. First one, we believe there's a victorious church. How are we seeing that? Icons. Every liturgy, mo usually mostly every liturgy, we say, he ten. We have relics. These things are all rites. We have an iconostasis. These are all saints looking to us, kind of pulling us and hoping for us to come join them. This ingrains in us a dogma. What is this dogma? Intercession. And the dogma is we believe in an afterlife and in a victorious church. Number two, incarnation. So there's a cool rite that I think I shared with some of you that I recently learned. So in the altar, when the deacon presents the censer to Abuna, I think the correct way, and Abuna correct me if I'm wrong, is that there's, Abuna is supposed to take his hand and put the incense into the censer. So it's a handful of, of incense into the censer. The only time that Abuna uses a spoon, because the communion spoon that we use is kind of not really tux, it's not really right, it's kind of something that was added. So the only time a spoon is used is the mystere. That's the only true canonical spoon. And the spoon is used, that spoon is only used when we say he was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and of the Virgin Mary. So if the spoon is on the throne, that means we take the spoon from the throne and we kind of descend, take the incense and put it into the censer. So we're literally saying he was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and of the Virgin Mary and at the same time, we're taking the spoon from the throne and moving it down into the censer. That's incarnation. That's taking something from the throne, from God, coming down into the censer, which we represent St. Mary and, and, and the coal represents the two natures. So that shows us a dogma based on one simple movement. Abuna mentioned the sign of the cross. The sign of the cross has so many different meanings. The east, we look toward the east. Why? We believe that the Garden of Eden was in the east and we believe, based on Matthew 24, Christ is going to come again from the east. So everything we do is looking to the east. So we see here that the church gives us these dogmas, gives us these rites, sorry, gives us these dogmas, 
in a very simplified way to educate its people. Because not every single person in the church is going to be a St. Athanasius or a St. Cyril. That's not going to happen. We're going to have some illiterate people. We're going to have some young children, some people who just never get interested in it. So the church doesn't give up on these people. It takes them and it gives them this dogma through the rites. So for example, the altar curtain. The altar curtain is only opened when there's supposed to be matins, vespers, or liturgy, something connected to liturgy. Why? Right now it's closed, and usually during Tazbah it's closed, and almost every other service it's closed, even a funeral. They're closed. Because it shows us that through the sacrifice of Christ, which we're going to celebrate on the liturgy, heaven was opened. So the altar curtain is opened. And Abuna, the only time Abuna says, is, is during, either before matins, before vespers, or in connection to liturgy. So that's another simple, small rite that shows us a deeper, more theological meaning. The third thing is our worship. If I were to just say a kiz marot right now and start singing it, your first reaction would be to turn your heads to the door. Why? Because you know in your mind that you've been associated and programmed that once a deacon starts saying that, there must be a bishop coming in. That is a right that has been programmed into you to teach you that because this bishop is coming in, this bishop represents Christ, so the hymn ties you to that understanding. The tunes of the church. Who can tell me how much of a difference in time it is from Good Friday to us celebrating resurrection? How much time goes between that? Day and a half. And how different is Good Friday from resurrection? Black everywhere, tunes are sad, readings are specified, that everyone's mood is a certain way, and then literally 24 hours later, give or take, we're going crazy. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we're about to eat and break a fast after 55 days for sure. But the rites bring you these emotions and this life into you. So does anyone know what day of the month today is? Coptic or... Uh, Coptic. Coptic, sorry. <laughs> what, what is the Coptic day of the month? 29th. So we were supposed to pray festive, right? Why? Say that again? Uh, kind of. Why are we not praying festive since today is the 29th of the month? The 29th of the month is always festive. We always celebrate the Annunciation, the Nativity, and the Resurrection. Why not today? Today's the 29th. Does anyone know or should I just say it? Yeah. How many months? Make it easier for them. How many months was it maybe joyous? Does anyone know how many months we don't say this? We don't celebrate the 29th in a joyous way? Two months, okay? So I'll explain. Starting from Baramhat 29, which is the Feast of Annunciation, we start celebrating this feast. So it's before resurrection. And then from nine months, because Baramhat 29 is always April 7th, until January 7th, there's nine months. Does anyone know what this nine months represents? Conception. St. Mary's pregnancy. Nine months. Annunciation to the, to the birth. So during this nine months, during every month from Baramhat into Kiak 29, we're celebrating with St. Mary every month this Annunciation, this birth, and this resurrection. But in the two months before Baramhat, which is Tuba and Amshir, which today is Tuba 29, the church considers this the Old Testament. Tuba represents the law, Amshir represents the prophets. 
So we're literally living St. Mary's pregnancy every 29th of the month during this nine-month period, celebrating with her during the nine months, based on the 29th. And if we're outside this nine-month pregnancy, we don't celebrate it. So the church is literally giving you Christ's life even before he is born, even with St. Mary, up until Kiyak, where we go and we spend the four weeks every night staying up to celebrate his life. That is only shown to us, or very explicitly shown to us, through the rites of the church. So I heard it also could be three months, because nine months pregnancy and three months, that makes a... Uh, 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 Twelve months? Twelve months, so three, and then nine is the pregnancy, and three hmm. is where you don't uh, uh, sing your joyous tunes. So basically the point, like Abuna is saying, is that during the divine pregnancy, this is what we're celebrating. And the last thing we're going to read, let's open up to Revelation chapter 7, please. Any volunteers? Shall we bring the open or hands up? Anyone? So we're going to read four verses. So Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so we looked, we started with Genesis, and now we're going to end with Revelation. We have here in Revelation, this is a scene from heaven. This is directly from heaven. This is what St. John saw in heaven. So we hear starting at verse 9, we see a great multitude of all people. And they're standing before the throne. They're standing before the throne. Okay? The throne is the Pantocrator, the bosom of the Father, right? And they're clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Who's clothed in white robes in our liturgies? The deacons and the priest. Everyone is wearing white. And crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Where is the Lamb in our liturgy? On the altar. And this crying out is us chanting. And all the angels stood around the throne. Who are the angels who are standing around the throne in our liturgy? The deacons who are serving the altar. Saying, Amen, blessed in glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So we see here the 24 elders are the priests. We see here the white robes are the vestments. Crying loudly are the chanting. The Lamb is the body of Christ. The throne is the Pantocrator. We have here exactly what was described in Revelation is exactly what we do in our liturgy every single time we celebrate. The power of the rites of the church bring us, bring heaven on earth, or at least bring us up to heaven. So as Abuna mentioned before, he felt like he was, this person who heard his liturgy, felt like he was in heaven. Why? Because that's exactly what the rites of the church are designed to do. How do we know this? How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And what do we say during the Egbe in the third hour? We compare the church to heaven. 
So the whole point of the church and the rights of the church is for us to be transplanted to heaven. That's why in the found, whenever we lay a foundation stone for a church, the gospel that's read is the story of transfiguration. Why? Because Peter, James, and, and, and John saw a heavenly vision, saw the saints come down, saw this bright light and glory, and said it is good for us to be here. This is the church, transforming us as earthly beings into heaven. So my last point is that more important than any of the things we discussed, whether it was organization, ritual theology, our spirituality, God wanting the rights from us, like we saw in the story of Cain and Abel, the rights being passed on to us, or sorry, the biblical, the Bible being passed on to us through the rights, is that the first right in the church should always be love. The first and most important right of the church should always be love. There should never be a dis disagreement or an argument or a, a fight that happens based on the rights. There could be a conversation, there could be a discussion, there could be kind of us figuring out what we're going to do, but it should never lead to an argument because then we've taken the rights that's supposed to be for our benefit and we've allowed the devil to use it for our detriment. This is what the devil would use to take the rights that are so amazing, like all the reasons we just mentioned, and use it for our damage. So we have to understand that the rights are for our benefit. So if there's a disagreement or a discrepancy, this just needs a conversation. It doesn't need a fight or an anger because this is something that's only supposed to be for our benefit. And it is our responsibility to pass on the rights how we learn them correctly because like Abuna mentioned, the rights are what unify us not only in this church, not only in America, not only in the world, but from before and after. So they're timeless. And I just want to end with a quote from St. Gregory of Nazianza. And he says, and you can replace the word faith with rights. This right, which I taught by the Holy Fathers, which I taught at all times, without adjusting according to the times. This right, I will never stop teaching. I was born with it, and I will die by it. This is St. Gregory of Nazianza saying how important our faith is. And the reason why I'm saying you can replace the word faith with rights is because we agreed that rights pass on the faith. They are a certain way for us to be educated and to have this faith passed on. So I think these rights, like Abuna mentioned before, are not only important for us as deacons, but for us as servants as well to be able to live heaven on earth and be able to pass it on correctly. And glory be to God forever. Amen. Just I want to um, mention something uh, Michael um, uh, talked about, the Mangaleas, and how, why do we have two Mangaleas? Do you notice we have two of them? We have one here facing west. And one here, this is not a bookshelf. This is another Mangalia facing east. Every time we face east is when we worship, when we pray. When we face the people or the West to educate. This is for interpretations. This is for prayers. One of the popes, I think Pope Gabriel Ibn Trik, back then, he says, the only language can be prayed inside the altar, only Coptic, only Coptic. The gospel has to be read in Coptic because it's a worship. So we used to read all the readings, the Pauline epistle, the uh, the, the Acts of the Apostles, the uh, Catholic Epistle, facing east, this is the Coptic Mengalia, it's for the Coptic readings. There's no interpretations. 
When it's read in Coptic, some people in the past, we have many languages. In e specifically in Egypt, we have Greek. And eventually the Arabic language entered the church. People uh, under uh, persecution, they had to uh, let go of the Coptic and they enforced the uh, Arabic language uh, all over Egypt. So people growing up, they forgot about the, the Coptic, but they kept it to worship, to use it in the altar only, and facing east. Any interpretations being taken care of to, to the people has to be done facing them to tell them what you just heard in Coptic. This is what it means to your own language so you can understand. So this one is for interpretation, for the readers to interpret the word of God. But this for worship. Nowadays, because of, I don't know, whether time or anything, we stopped even reading parts of, uh, of the Coptic, uh, all the epistles in Coptic. Do you hear that? No, nobody hears it. Maybe once in a while, maybe in a feast, when we celebrate a feast, right? A proxy is It's gone, right? Even the gospel. Growing up, I've seen Mbafam, may God repose his soul. The gospel, every time, he reads a passage, a few verses, every liturgy. A, a passage, a few verses in Coptic. And then. We continue as we used to. Now everything is just, you know, halas is becoming get, uh, forgotten. So this Mangaliya now is, we use it as, a, as you see it, just to store some books, but we don't, we don't use it uh, nowadays, unfortunately. Um, but we should bring back parts of, the, of reading in Coptic, the epistles and the gospel, a little bit of it. And what we notice, I tell you again, you notice this in, in Holy Week. You see two Mangaliyas, right? Right? One facing the people, you read it in Arabic or English, and one facing when you read the psalm or part of the gospel, facing east. This is to worship, this is to interpret. So it's kept. Thank God we still have it during the Holy Week. Still have it. When a deacon comes out and... Uh, 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 sing the, the psalm for, of David and after he reads it he reads part of the gospel also in a sad tune and then any reader comes and uh, reads it in Arabic or in English for the people facing the people so this is the right that we kept some of it but some of it is gone Okay, so we need to hopefully uh, bring it back to life again because this is going to be forgotten I think uh, uh, you see we, we, we kept you another 15 minutes because we started late 30 minutes we should have stayed another 15 minutes from now so this is our first meeting and the idea is this to become more educational more studies as you can see the topics um, now I want to we're not taking the questions now but just maybe any comments because this is, we need to structure this uh, uh, class or meeting, uh, you name it. It's basically liturgical studies 
meeting. First question, how, often, how do you like the, 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 the structure of it so far? If you have any comments, uh, you can reach to me with your comments so we can uh, consider it next time. I don't have uh, any piece of uh, paper to, to pass down to collect your comments if you have one, but feel free. We can change it, we can modify it, we can do anything to it based on your requirements and, and, uh, and whatever you want to see. So uh, then other questions, how often do you want uh, this meeting? Uh, on a monthly basis? Would that be okay? On a, on a bi-weekly basis? Would that be okay? So let me say, bi-weekly, raise your hand just to get a feel. No hand. Oh, bi-weekly is two, three, four. Okay, a monthly? Okay, so l let's have it monthly for now. Okay, and then we'll, uh, 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 if you can, we can create a, maybe a way to communicate with them. We didn't register, but I have your names because I have the registrations. Uh, more people registered but didn't show up for uh, some reasons today. Um, so we can communicate in a way, maybe we'll put a list of topics to be discussed next time. So topics has to do with the church rights, me, uh, 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 understanding of uh, the rights, hymns, prayers, books, okay? May God be with you.